from the sports desk of the Lubbock Avalanche Journal and RedRaiders.com. Here's your look at all things Texas Tech sports. Now, here's the Red Raider Podcast. And hello everyone, I'm Carlos Silva from the Lubbock Avalanche Journal Sports Editor for the newspaper, bringing you another edition of the Red Raider podcast in the early portion of the week, so you know what that means. we got a couple of special guests, although one of them is not here. We won't mention why, but uh, that just means you get to talk a little bit more. Ryan King, Mr. KLBK Weekend Reporter, KLBK Sports Reporter, however you However you want to go with that. They used to do KOVK Sports Reporter Weekend Anchor. Now, I appreciate it. I love when John's here when it's not it's just the two of us. Either way, it works. Yeah. It's a great show. Absolutely. And John obviously getting his teeth fixed, so I'm sure there's something. <laughs> fixed. Yeah, fixed. <laughs> because they're not pearly white right now, so he's getting something fixed. But he should be back next week. He'll have his perspective and all the other stuff that we normally talk about. Just to kind of give a little bit of a highlight of what we'll talk about going into this one. First time we'll talk about a... Uh, Texas Tech victory over the weekend. First time at least you and I have talked about one. Obviously, Don and I have been doing this a little bit longer, so it'll be the first time we talk, I guess, some good news, if you will, from the football team. Talk a little bit about some injury updates as well that were kind of big as well uh, from that. And uh, a little bit of Texas Tech basketball. They're heading to Midland, Permian Basin area for the first time since 1951 to take on Houston Baptist. Should be interesting. Neutral site court, or as Chris Beard says, the first – challenge for his team to kind of get a road game, if you want to call it that, under their belt. So we'll talk a little bit about that. And then some big news earlier this morning, we're recording this on Tuesday, five-star guard Namari Burnett commits to Texas Tech, a huge uh, get for Chris Beard and company after getting Micah Peavy a couple weeks ago, and then of course before that, uh, Chibuzi Agbo as well. So let's kind of start with things that everyone's been talking about obviously uh football's been on the minds of everyone basketball starting to kind of get in the minds of everyone because everyone's remembering hey they're pretty good uh but texas tech football still has a chance to be good as well uh they got their fourth win thanks to defeating west virginia last weekend i guess brian i know we talked about it i felt like we saw some things that we were talking about that being the fact that if you can keep jet duffy clean the fact if uh you were able to get going early offensively and getting West Virginia into a hole where you put some pressure on their offense. You saw Jared Dagey, a former Lubbock Cooper uh, quarterback, come in. But I guess just from your perspective, what did you see, and did you see anything that we kind of talked about? Yeah, you know, Carlos, both sides of the ball, there was one main thing I saw with the offense. Jet did look good, 24 for 34, 354 yards, only the lone touchdown. That's because every time they'd get close, Sir Roger Gertajan would punch it in for the final couple yards. Something that I love to see, and I would, I, I, I bet if we could do a poll across the Red Raider fan base, it just seemed like they were finally letting it loose, throwing down the field. You could see it early in the game, and I love that. Not only did they score on their first five drives, which you literally cannot ask for more, six of the passes in this game were for 19 yards or more. Four players with 46 yards or more, really distributing it out. But six times they went for 19 or more, and these weren't little bubbles they were breaking. Mm-hmm. From the very get-go, you could tell they were going downfield. Now, when we talked to Coach Wells yesterday, he said it was partly what West Virginia was giving them, but it was also coming in, it's a new system. Guys have to get used to it. They kind of got set back when Bowman went out. And Jed Duffy had to come in, so they kind of had to restart with him, even though he's had the offseason. He was fourth yep. in the depth chart, like we've talked about. Mm-hmm. It looks like they're finally comfortable. Yes, I think West Virginia was giving them that. 
But I think they're finally getting comfortable with letting Jet throw it down from he's accurate enough. He's not making terrible decisions. Matt Wells said he only missed one throw all day, and it was on a, a penalty where they were, it was, that wasn't the call. So they just decided to throw it downfield. But I love getting to see it finally. Not a bunch of bubbles, not a bunch of screens. And I bet it had to have caught West Virginia off guard for all of a sudden Tech is launching it downfield when they hadn't seen that all year. And well, it seemed to really work. Well, I mean, the, t- two things on that. Obviously, it's good to see that if, if you want to say that. But my big thing, too, is, is Matt Wells has said it multiple times. Jet Duffy does have to play well, but the guys around him have to play well. We mentioned it before where T.J. Vasher had a pretty big game for them. Eric Izukanma had a pretty big Game for them a couple weeks ago when uh, Jed Duffy looked like he was playing really well. Sean Carter stepped up as well. Dalton Rigdon, after kind of going up and down, finally had his big game, had 100 yards. Without Vasher in there. Absolutely. Who, Coach Wells said he should be back this week, but... And it, we'll, we'll see. It's it's literally a game-time decision, mm-hmm. so we'll see how that goes. But uh, the fact that you were able to do that without T.J. Vasher just goes to show that, that there are some things, if you do some things schematically and you kind of work on the game plan, that there are some certain things that can happen on in this offense. There have been multiple times where we've talked about it too. They have thrown the ball down the field. It's just either they were underthrown or overthrown. And when you do make these plays, everyone starts to notice, hey, maybe we're not just throwing bubble screens and stuff. Mm-hmm. But again, I will continue to say it's ad nauseum. Ten touchdowns, two interceptions. Not too bad from your four-string quarterback. And not only that, but then not only has he, again, not trying to kind of jinx him a little bit, he's been making good decisions so far. It seems like the offense has been tailored to what works for him. I, I think that's something that's kind of gone a little bit under the radar where everyone's kind of been bashing uh, Coach Yos for having this quote-unquote conservative offense. I think he's kind of tailored the offense to what they know they have in Jed Duffy. Maybe it's a little bit different with Alan Bowman. Maybe it's a, a little bit of the same. Maybe you see the ups and downs because you're learning this offense. Yes, they had the, the offseason to kind of get things going, but th- there's something about – practice compared to game situations where a guy really does want to go after you compared to practices where you are wearing the uh, the, the blue or the red the you know the the do not touch me jersey and you kind of know you're going to get hit there but certainly a, a good win for Texas Tech uh, my, my biggest takeaway from that's Roderick Thompson getting injured uh, we'll see how that uh, injury kind of goes as uh, coach Wells said earlier this week on Monday he's questionable uh, Travis Bruffy says you can change it to likely just because of his toughness. So, I mean, you can kind of take the the uh, status however you want. But I guess just overall, I agree with you, Ryan. It was good to kind of see the, the ball get thrown that way. But I think it just goes to show sometimes it takes a little bit of time for your quarterback to gain his confidence to throw the ball downfield and feel like when he does throw that ball, it's going to be accurate. That's one. And number two, you have to have the confidence to know that if you do throw a ball that is maybe a 50-50 ball or a – very difficult, uh, uh, I guess, uh, basically a, a difficult ball to catch. You know that your guy's going to come down with it, and I think that's what happened with Jet Duffy in that instance. And, and again, I'm going to say it. I know some people have kind of mentioned to me, well, what makes you think that West Virginia wasn't so good? Have you not watched the tape on them? They weren't that good on defense. Yes, they had the big game against Baylor, but again, Here's a hot take. Baylor's not a very good 9-0 team. I, I, I will say I will continue to say that. Don totally disagrees with me, but they've just been that, that team that has just found a way to get victories at the end. And uh, obviously credit to them, they're 9-0. But I think uh, Texas Tech is a lot better than what the record is too. I mean, you can say that, and I think that's the frustration, I think, with the fans is you have a potential team that should be bowl eligible at this point, mm-hmm. but they're not, and they're still fighting for it. 
Yeah, I do agree with you, Baylor. I think I do think Baylor's a good team. I don't think they're a nine and top ten team in the country. Some or the rankings would probably even reflect that. Yeah. Something else I did notice in this game, I agree with everything you're saying. Jet Duffy was not even the starter until game five Correct. of the season. So mm-hmm. you know, keep not even just he was fourth string. He did not start. This is only his fifth game that we just saw. So maybe things are rounding into shape. The other thing I really liked on the defensive side, four turnovers forced. You can yeah. talk about those. Mm-hmm. What I really liked was how they looked in the red zone. Here are where West Virginia's drives ended, okay? On the four-yard line, the 11-yard line, 13-yard line, the 22-yard line, the 24-yard line, the 30-yard line. They fumbled inside the 30 on another drive, and they threw an interception in the end zone on another one. So those are all. That is one, two, three, four, eight drives where they were inside the 30 and got zero points. Eight drives with zero points inside the 30. Bringing them now, when I looked this up after the game, Tech is now the number one ranked red zone defense in the Big 12. They have stopped teams eight times when they've gotten to the red zone. That's impressive. That is something you want to see. That they, They've talked about bending but not breaking. I've seen it a few games. This is the one that's really the outlier. Like This West Virginia game is really... I've never seen something like that where, I mean, the 4, the 11, the 13, three times inside the 15-yard line, and the other team doesn't score. But even the, this is now the second time they've had a pick in the end zone on the season... The defense is really starting to, I think, round into shape as far as they need to stop giving up the explosive plays, which they gave up against West Virginia. I mean, Austin Kendall threw for even more yards than Jet Duffy did. But when they needed to stand up at the last one, they did. They stopped him in the red zone. They stopped him in the end zone with that pick. They've, they've looked really good, at least when it comes there late down the drive. Let's also keep a little bit of perspective. Yes, I will agree with you. The defense looked good. I think a lot of it had to do with the fact that Kind of the same thing from Oklahoma State. You had three down linemen. They were getting some pressure on Austin Kendall. That certainly helps, as Coach Keith Patterson and Coach Matt Wells have said. When you kind of do the numbers, you don't necessarily have to be an X's and O's guy, but if you only got three guys on the line, that's eight guys that you can potentially have in coverage. So that helps you a little bit in that sense. The one thing I will say to kind of deter from your discussion point there is there were some times that West Virginia did have some guys that were open and Austin Kendall totally underthrew them, mm-hmm. and they probably missed about two touchdowns. And, again, that can change the the uh, com- complexity, the momentum of the game, however you want to call it. But the fact is Texas Tech played its game. They were able to get a big big lead. Yes, they didn't play well in the second half, but when, again, I, I just felt like that West Virginia offense was so inept. If you get at least the two to three touchdown uh, separation, I thought that was just enough for them to – to get the victory, but um, just kind of looking at what the defense did, it's good. I think what happened after the defense got those stops was even more important because you finally scored some points off turnovers, which is two touchdowns, right? Which is something that they had not done. I feel like that's a huge confidence boost for Texas Tech in in a sense where you can kind of look at game situations, kind of like what you're talking about with the red zone. That was something they weren't able to do. At some point, you want to also get some of these. Uh, some of these results were in the fourth quarter when you need to get off the field or you need to get a stop and stop the other team and either one, give the ball back to your to your offense or just stop them because that's what's going to help win you the game. I think that's the next step for this defense. But certainly seeing them get some uh, success in the red zone in terms of stopping another team is a good thing for them. Number two, getting the three down lineman, getting some pressure that way. And then twofold, the defense getting the stops or getting a turnover and the offense scoring on that. I think all of those things were huge contributors to Texas Tech getting that victory. I totally agree. We can even use that to transition to this TCU game, something that I really like. We talked about West Virginia 
They'd have to. They, they really needed that game to get to a bowl. You know that we were we were talking about that last mm-hmm. week. Both teams get well this week. TCU comes in four and five. Yeah, Tech sits at four and five. Yep. You know who TCU has next week? Uh, if I had to guess, I think it, is it your is it your Sooners? Oklahoma. Yeah. So you're saying if you lose to Tech, you have to beat both West Virginia and Oklahoma just to get to six and six. So they're looking at this game. They need this one because they need to beat Tech and uh, West Virginia. Tech is looking at this. You have Texas. On the road, and Kansas State, who beat Oklahoma and should have beat Texas this last mm-hmm. week, they've looked really good. Yeah, you need this game against TCU to get five and five and split those last and then two, at, and then at Austin as well. Yeah, at to, Austin, to, yeah. To, to end the the, at Texas game and hosting a good K State team. If you want to make a bowl game, we talked about this. You got to beat West Virginia, and you're going to have to beat TCU, and you still have to split the last two. But that's talk about another game with bowl game implications. Now, this is what happens later in the year. Mm-hmm. We had that last week. We're going to have that again this week, and it could be the team that plays with more desperation. What you see at the end of the season, if that happens, that could go a long way in who wins the game. It'll be interesting just to kind of watch this because as we've kind of chronicled the last couple years, just either on this podcast or just everyone just kind of watching this football team, that's been kind of the mantra is like three or four games left. We have a chance of getting bowl eligible. Hasn't happened yet. Obviously, Travis Bruffy talked about the fact that he Two would years like ago, to get though, there. They, yeah. they won in Austin to get bowl eligible. They did, and then you could even say the fact that they saved uh, Cliff Kingsbury's mm-hmm. job as well in that game. But um, I think that's going to be the big thing. Is I've talked about it before. I think this team is showing a resiliency it hadn't shown before. They have not been blown out in games that you typically would have seen them get blown out in, whether that's due to the fact that they are, quote-unquote, playing a conservative offense, uh, whether you want to say that they're trying not to lose on defense – is kind of what I'm seeing on Twitter. I think the the big thing is you are not turning the ball over like you normally would because you're trying to take too many chances. Or maybe the offense is too complex for a quarterback to understand mm-hmm. it that's coming in kind of automatically and stuff has been tailored to him. Mm-hmm. And on the defensive side, I think you are creating turnovers in very opportune situations. And I think uh, things would turn around too, as we kind of alluded to with that West Virginia game. If you're starting to get turnovers and you score maybe not a field goal, that turns things up on a head because then you are starting to score at a rate that is up to par with some of the teams that are coming up. Sans TCU. I'm going to say TCU's offense is just as inept as West Virginia. And poor Sonny Cumbie, a former uh, former uh, player, and or I guess just a former name that I guess Texas Tech fans will remember, um, He's getting the brunt of uh, kind of the, the 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 negativity from all of that, and I think uh, from the head coach. Well, especially the head coach. The head coach is very happy to have him talk to people afterward. But I, I think that the, the one thing you can say is sometimes when you get a freshman quarterback that starts on a Big Twelve team, sometimes you're going to see some struggles, and I think that's what's happening right now with Max Duggar and company. But Matt Wells brought it up. I think you're going to have to do the same exact thing you did with Virginia: three down linemen. Get to the quarterback, and if you do have three down linemen, stop the running game. Because if you beat, if you slow down that running game and make Max Duggar beat you, you're going to be in a very good position to win, just as you were last week when you got Austin Kendall. You made him try to beat you, wasn't able to do that. Tried to bring in Seth Dagey, who had maybe less of a loft on some of his deep balls, but even then, at that point, you already had a you already had a pretty significant lead to where you could be a lot more aggressive than you normally would on defense. I totally agree with that. Last week we talked about how I love looking at the position group ranks. When when a matchup is making so last week we we, we did that with West Virginia. Yep. Let's look at TCU defense in the Big Twelve. They're ranked first, mm-hmm. first with pass defense as well. That's really good because mm-hmm. I mean yeah. you know maybe they're not going to be as gung ho with Jed Duffy like they were against West Virginia. I'd expect them to be a little more conservative now against a more aggressive secondary. 
fourth on rushing defense, still pretty good. But if you look at the offense, seventh best offense, the third best rushing attack, but the eighth best passing attack. Mm-hmm. What's been Tech been good at? They've been good at stopping the run, yeah. but their weakness has been pass. I don't yeah. expect TCU to be able to do much on the offensive side against Tech. I don't know, man. Here's the thing is like you look at West Virginia and, and, and I'll agree with you and maybe they may not have that success, but uh, TCU has something West Virginia doesn't have and that is Jalen Rager. That guy's a game breaker. Whether that's uh, throwing something in the flat and making him make a play. If he's you a, get him he's in a open forgotten space, guy on that yeah, team. He, he's going to be really good. He Or should I say he has been good. A player that Texas Tech was obviously looking for. A lot of Texas Tech fans will remember the last name Rager because of Monte Rager, but uh, Jalen Rager's probably been the the one good thing for that team, along with the running game that has been good. So, again, I feel like if you get that defensive line to get another good push, you slow down their running game, and you get Max Duggar to try and win the game for them, I think that is the best position you can get yourself in. Because if you're able to score, again, 14, even get a 21-point scoring, uh, scoring cushion, if you will, I'm not going to say that's game, but I'm going to say that puts you in a good position because then you can be a little bit more aggressive on defense, which is what Keith Patterson likes to do. And number two, if you give up a big play, you still know you got three or four more possessions to where you can kind of get yourself back into it. Oh, we we talked about that last week, how they blew the 17-point lead to yeah. Kansas. And mm-hmm. like, if you get up against West Virginia early, which they did, you're going to be able to hold it. This is another one of those games. You get up 17-0, 20-21-0, you're going to beat TCU. I, I, they don't have the game, in my opinion, to – like I said, they don't have a good passing attack outside of Jalen Rager who can make plays, but they don't have enough of that firepower to try to come back in a game, in my opinion. Well, they, they, they have firepower, and the one thing that I will say with Kansas, again, I'm not trying to say it was a, a bad thing because I know people don't want to talk about the Jayhawks loss or anything, but that was more of a Texas Tech defense thing, just giving up some plays that they shouldn't have given up. Yeah. I, and, and I felt that was totally changed with West Virginia. And if you play that type of defense against Kansas, I think you win that game easily. Yeah, I agree. I agree with that. And again, I, I really feel like the offense is starting to kind of get into its groove, like you had mentioned. I think uh, five to six games is good for Jed Duffy. He's finally feeling comfortable with everything he's got around. I think everyone that is playing around him understands what his, uh, I guess, his strength and weaknesses, I guess, if that's the best general way to say it, are or they know where he could be, or he knows where a wide receiver will be compared to where it's that first or second game, and you're just trying to throw the ball and hope that someone is there. And I think that's been the biggest thing for Texas Tech is just the maturity of Jed Duffy in this offense. And that kind of led to really the big news that we can talk about uh, on Monday during the Big 12 media teleconference. Matt Wells had uh, mentioned that Ellen Bowman has been cleared to play along with uh, Maverick McIver, both quarterbacks. Uh, for the Texas Tech Red Raiders, but it looks like both of them will redshirt now. Here's the ca- here's the big caveat if you want to look at it this way. Alan Bowman still has one game that he could play and still collect that redshirt. Maverick McIver, of course, is a true freshman, has not played a game, has four if you wanted to play him, but at this point, Matt Wells had mentioned the fact that Maverick McIver, it, it just wouldn't make sense for him because, one, he hasn't gotten into any game shape or gotten the reps. He may get some reps starting now because he's healthy and you're going to try and work some stuff in. But the thing is, is at this point of the season when you're trying to get bowl eligible, a majority of those snaps are going to go to Jed Duffy because you want him to get the reps. You want him to have the muscle memory. You want him to get all that. And then maybe your second string quarterback, I'm, I'm assuming that is Jackson Tyner at this point. Maybe it could be. Alan Bowman, if he somehow does kind of work himself into there, because again, he does have that one game and you can still redshirt him because of the redshirt rule, rule part of me, where you can play four games and still redshirt. Um, 
that was the big news of the week, uh, other than Sir Roderick Thompson, as we alluded to before. Uh, he may be out as well. I believe Des Smith was mentioned as well that he could be. I, I, I think I he remember said that one. Uh, Don asked about all three guys together, and he said, well, they're all day-to-day. Correct. So nothing was, you know, solidly there. I, I, I guess technically I could have looked it up before I kind of did this podcast, but that's the smart way of doing things. Unfortunately, I don't do things the smart way. So um, I guess from your perspective, what I, I know we've mentioned it a little bit, I think the one big thing for Texas Tech, assuming that they can get a big home crowd, I think that's the one thing that does help them in this situation. I think Kansas State is a much better offensive team than uh, you've previously remembered under Bill Snyder. I think uh, Chris Kleiman has brought something a little bit different in terms of explosiveness to that team. But now you're playing a TCU team that's going to be a grinded-out, can-you-out-tough-us type team, and I think that's going to be my thing to watch is can Texas Tech either one match or exceed that type of toughness in this game, and will a home crowd help them get that victory? Because if not, it's going to be some tough sledding because right now you're at four wins. If you somehow obviously get two wins out of TCU, Kansas State, and Texas, you are bowl eligible, which is something that depending on what time of the year you were kind of looking at things, maybe even after the Jayhawks loss, people thought that was kind of a... <laughs> impossibility? Yeah, impossibility. I mean, maybe that's the word, but maybe a pipe dream, I guess, if you want to use mm-hmm. that term as well. But obviously Matt Wells has kept his team in the fight, and they are still in the fight going against TCU this weekend. They are. Something we haven't really touched on that I do think is going to impact Jet Duffy what they always have, you always been, they're very physical. They always have physical defenses, physical D lines. They have yep. four guys with two and a half sacks or more, including Garrett Wallow, who has 94 tackles. He's really good. Second in the Big 12 behind Jordan Brooks. Jordan Brooks. Mm-hmm. So everyone's talking about how good Jordan Brooks has been, and he has been. But Garrett Wallow is averaging half a tackle less per in conference play mm-hmm. than Jordan Brooks. Now, for what it's worth, their linebacker core is really key to what they do. So. Yeah, it is. Yes. And like I said, these numbers are not as great. When I started looking from team to team, there's a lot of teams that have four guys with two and a half or more. I'm just saying that is something TCU has always done. And it's something that the offensive line is going to have to be ready for because they're going to be physical. They're going to be tough. There's two main things that I think could really... I'm not going to say determine the game. I'm just very curious to see how they play out in this game, and I want to get your opinion on these, Carlos. The first one is third downs. We always, Coach Wells, since he first got here, talks about how stopping teams on third downs is basically a turnover, same thing with fourth downs, and we have to convert on those, obviously, to keep drives alive. That's They love talking about third downs. Well, they've played a lot of good teams. People know this. But this is the first team Tech has played that is top three in the Big 12 in both third down offense and defense. So their offense is second in the Big 12. They average, they convert third downs 49% of the time. That is second in the Big 12. So every other third down they're converting. That's a very high percentage, 49%. On defense, they are only allowing a conversion 32.5% of the time, which is third best in the conference. Now, keep this in mind. Both of those are really good. Top three, clearly they know what they're doing on third downs, which... In my opinion, that shows a veteran coach. A guy like Gary Patterson, That's where you. those are your money downs or third downs. Here's one thing. Tech only converts on third downs 31% of the time, which is very low in the Big 12. So I can see, in my opinion, I think third downs are going to, if they can get to them. Now, Tech, maybe they'll go like they did against West Virginia. They'll be clicking, going right down the field on them, and third downs won't matter. But the fact that TCU is this good on third downs and Tech 
kind of struggles on third downs more than Matt Wells would like, to me, could be a big key in this game. Uh, I agree with you, but I almost feel like third third downs are kind of key in every game because uh, what when you kind of look at just the the complexity of what that stat is that goes that that again I haven't watched a lot of tape on TCU I'm sure if you statted it you could figure it out but usually if you're converting on third down at a high rate that means that you were in third and short typically because you're obviously in a positive situation where the defense is guessing what you're going to do and you're able to kind of convert. Um, in terms of tech, only because we've watched them so much, I know that third and long has been something that has been plaguing them the last I mean, couple of weeks. Everybody always says third yeah. down problems are first and second down problems, and I get Correct. that. Correct, yeah. It's just, I think in this game, and I agree it's key in every game, I just think TCU is the first one they've seen that is strong on both sides of the ball on third down. So I think it can be that could be where the game is decided in this one more than it even normally is. I, I, I don't know if it'll be decided, but I certainly think it is something to watch because if Texas Tech is struggling to get into third and short, that's not a good sign because then that means that, one, the offense is not clicking. Number two, first and second down, you're not able to run the football because typically mm-hmm. one of those two downs, you are going to run the football. Um, and then once you get to third down, then that means that you are predictable, which isn't a good thing, as you kind of alluded to with uh, TCU being so good on defense that it's kind of really kind of snuck into what is a good third down uh, conversion rate for its defense as well. But I think what what's kind of made them so good, and I mean, obviously you can kind of look at Gary Patterson just because of his defensive mind, but the fact that they've got what he's been looking for the last couple years. One year, he had a bunch of guys that were hurt. They were down on defense. The next year, they were they were uh, experienced guys. I think that's what you have this year. you got a bunch of experience on that side of the football. And not only that, but you've got a real good defensive line. I know Coach Wells didn't mention it uh, too much, but he did mention the fact that there are some guys that can kind of move and kind of uh, set, set some um, – set some holes to where the linebackers are able to make some tackles, which is why those linebackers are getting uh, some tackles at a high rate like a wallow. Um, I think that the one thing that Tech will have to do in this situation is you may have to find some crossing routes, just something on the sidelines. I think that's going to be the big key is you're going to have to make these guys just go left to right. And I think if they're able to do that, I think that will allow them to get into third and shorts and – Heck, if you don't get into third down, obviously that's a plus too because then it shows that you're doing pretty well in first and second. I think that's going to be the important thing is will Texas Tech be able to get some of those big plays that they were able to do where you're finding a Dalton Rigdon down the seam? Are you finding uh, Sir Roderick Thompson if he is playing or even a Tajon Henry who could start who's more of a catch-it-out-of-the-backfield type of guy? Is he going to be running between between the tackles or is that going to be something they're going to look for Jax Welsh? I know he was more into uh, protection when he did get on the field, but at some point you're going to have to get him some carries too, because you, you cannot give a guy at least nowadays those 25 to 30 carries a game. Cause you are just going to get beat up and it's just going to hurt you a little bit, but maybe they do have those guys that can do that. But yeah, I guess just to make a long story short, cause I like to ramble. I do think your point is valid. I do think thanks third, Carlos. Yeah. I, I, I do think the third downs could be a key, but I really, again, I really think that, Setting the tone on the defense for Texas Tech, if they are going three down linemen again, is going to be clutch for them because, or maybe it won't, now that I'm kind of thinking about it. I think it will be good because, one, obviously you're going to have one extra guy to kind of watch 
whoever is kind of going for some routes or something like that. But I think if you add that extra guy on the line, that's going to help you stop the run, which is what I think they're more uh, good at at this point. Yeah, Jalen Rager's a nice piece for your wide receivers, but I don't think there's really anyone else that kind of could be a guy that could step up. But again, I've said that before, and then you get a Dylan Stoner that shows up out of nowhere from Oklahoma State, and he kind of has a big game. So, But yeah, I think I, I think I can jump on board with that. I Again, that's something to watch, but I think that the players are going to be the biggest thing, and if the players are not able to execute on the third downs, I think that's going to be the biggest key. Yeah, the only other thing I wanted to ask you about, and I'm, I'm not saying this is a big key to the game, but I just thought it was interesting. I just thought this was an interesting thing. And Matt Wells, uh, when we asked him, when I asked him this yesterday, didn't he didn't love it. But I just noticed that Tech and TCU are in the top four of time of possession in yeah. the conference. I just thought it was interesting that both of them, that he says that's not one of their conscious thoughts. They want to score. That's their thoughts. I get that. We've talked about it before. There's a certain part of possessing the ball that does help you win. And in this game specifically, TCU's not going to win a shootout, so they're going to try to limit possessions. Could you see time possession being not just a factor, like a legitimate factor of who wins this game? I'm not saying it will. I just thought it was interesting that TCU possesses the ball the most, and Tech is around fourth in the Big 12, and that's going to be what they want to do. They're not going to want to get into a shootout because Tech will win that. I just thought it was interesting they're both so high in wanting to possess it that, yes, if Tech is scoring on one plays, then it doesn't matter. But in general, you get late into a game. I do think if one of them holds the ball a lot longer than the other, that's going to help TCU if it's a low-possession game. I think if TCU wins the time of possession, they have a good chance to win, only because if they do, that means that they have a lead and they're trying to run the ball, mm-hmm. trying to milk the clock. I think Unless if, Tech's scoring in one plays every time. Again, which that that has not happened up until West Virginia happened five straight. Now, if Texas Tech goes five straight and they win the time of possession, then that would show that they got a lead and they would obviously be trying to milk the clock at that point. But just just uh, looking at Coach Wells, if I had to guess, if they do win, they would probably win time of possession, but not by a lot because I feel like he does want to score quick. I think that that's the key for this offense is you want to score as quick as you can. Yes, I know that would quote-unquote, tired the defense. But I think at some point there's some sort of a rhythm that you have with that. Like the defense knows if they get the ball back to the offense and the offense gets into a rhythm, and that's what helped them get those five straight touchdowns. I I really feel like the offense was just in a little bit of a rhythm to where they knew, okay, four, four, uh, four downs, we're right back into it. It's not where you're kind of waiting there for three or four minutes where maybe it is advantageous for a defense to get some rest. But I think for an offense, you, you kind of want to feel like, okay, let's go, let's roll. And I think that's what they did in those first five possessions. But I I, I would say I, I think the third down situation is going to be a little bit more to watch than time mm-hmm. of possession because time of possession is a little bit fickle. Yeah, it's not one of those things you can directly point to, like this team is really good, look at their time. I, was just, I just thought it was yeah. curious. No, I, I mean, obviously, if, if there's a huge discrepancy, that obviously shows that one team held the ball or you had, you know, those eight-minute long drives. Now, I don't know if TCU's capable of something like exactly. that, but they could be because Tech is shown. Now, the one thing is if that does happen, that's not good for Tech because they've shown that those 10-plus drives, teams have been able to find some success against them over the last couple of weeks. So we'll see how those things go, but... Should be an interesting game, 11 a.m. Saturday. Get some coffee, get some mimosas, get whatever you need to do to get yourself up uh, for that one. Celebrate, uh, uh, I'm trying to remember the, the, the uh, Celebrate America, pardon me, the Celebrate America game for Texas Tech. That'll also be on ESPN2 for those that are unable to get to Lubbock and Jones AT&T Stadium as well. So 
Switching gears a little bit, going to men's basketball. I know you wanted to chat about this. They are 2-0 and after getting some wins over Eastern Illinois and Bethune-Cookman, two teams that Coach Beard had a lot of respect for, but afterward it seemed like uh, Texas Tech was able to get some handed wins over both of them, 85-60 to over Eastern Illinois and Bethune-Cookman, the most recent one last Saturday, 79-44. to I guess from your perspective, Ryan, because everyone will hear what I have to say at some point, but... I guess what what did you kind of take away from those two victories? Man, I what I really wanted to watch, and you and I have already talked about this, and I think a lot of people were looking at this. I don't think this is unique, but I really wanted to see how the grad transfers would look, honestly. And the fact that TJ Holyfield, the SFA grad transfer, is leading the team in points, while Chris Clark, the big man, bigger man, is leading the team in assists, I just think is very interesting. I think that's great for this team that the assists are not just coming from Kyler or maybe Davi Day or something like that. The fact that the scoring is coming from, I mean, Jemias is definitely doing his part. Don't get me wrong. Jemias Ramsey looks really good. But the fact that TJ has been really consistent in those first two games and Chris Clark has 11 rebounds and 11 assists through, through two games. He looks like the all-around player that they needed to come in from Virginia Tech. That's what I've been looking at. We've already talked about, I don't think these teams are like absolutely terrible, but Eastern Illinois, Bethune-Cookman, they're not Big 12 teams. You're not going to learn a lot from those opponents, but from what you've seen from the players, I think Jemias Ramsey looks like the real deal. I think both grad transfers, TJ Holyfield and Chris Clark, look like they are exactly what this team needs. Kyler Edwards seems to have gotten better, which, I mean, he's a sophomore. He, he should be taking that step. And I really like, uh, what's his name? He, the freshman number one, I want to say. Terrence Shannon. Not Terrence Shannon. Sorry, the other one. So with a D. Freshman? I think he's a freshman, yeah. right? Terrence Shannon's number one. I know. It's not It's not, It's not. not him. It's uh, a great podcast right here. I know. It's re- Clarence Nadolny. Oh, that's not. That, that starts with a C. Yeah, I was way off. Clarence yes. Nadolny, I actually. It's just been a few plays where he'll throw down a dunk. He'll get a fast break the other way. I don't know. I I just like the potential that. Don't get me wrong. Terrence Shannon, mm-hmm. very good, too. Um, but I've really liked a lot of what I've seen early. I mean, they're up to number 11. No, no shocker there. Mm-hmm. But I think a lot of the pieces that need to be there, at least through two games, whether it's freshman Jemiah stepping up, Kyler Edwards getting better, the grad transfers uh, gaining, you know, fitting the holes they need, it seems like, once again, Chris Beard and the staff has really constructed a good team that complements each other. I think, again, one, one, I said this, I think, when you asked me a couple weeks ago. These are going to be the games where you kind of figure out your roles. You kind of figure out what everyone's doing. I think everyone's figured out Jemias Ramsey is a consistent scorer. Uh, he likes to be aggressive. Same thing with Terrence Shannon. When both of those guys are in transition, it's a very difficult situation or proposition for any defense to slow them down or try and not foul them when they are going toward the basket. Uh, Davide Moretti has been able to find some open spots. I think he's still trying to figure out his role in terms of just kind of finding open space when Jemias or Terrence do uh, either kind of scroll, uh, screen or roll out or just kind of drive to the basket and find an open spot for him. I think uh, you mentioned it before, but T.J. Holyfield, I think he's really found his spot already where he's been aggressive. He's a guy that can score under the basket, which is something they haven't had the last couple mm-hmm. years. Yes, you've had Lawrence Odiasa, you've had Tariq Owens, you've had Anthony Livingston, but this is a guy that can legit – there were multiple times during that game against uh, Bethune-Cookman where he got the ball in the inbound, he was able to take a dribble, a couple pump, pump fakes, and then all of a sudden he's got the uh, the, the little under, under and up, and he's got that kind of going down. So that's obviously a good thing. The, the one thing that I, I would say has been a little bit of a trouble point could be rebounding, but I think that's something that will work itself out. Jemias and 
Everyone else, as I mentioned, everyone's about 6'5 to 6'8. Everyone's going to be rebounding the ball. You're not going to have your typical seven foot or, you know, 6'9 guy that's going that after that, that stuff. Does that come throughout a season, rebound? I mean, you're more of a college basketball guy. Uh, you know? Is that something that comes throughout a season, getting used to how you rebound in college basketball? I, I don't know if it's necessarily getting used to it. I think it's just how are you re- how are you – how are you emphasizing it during a game? Like, do you want to? I know have... they're emphasizing passing right now. I Correct. know that. Correct. Uh, obviously, in the last, I think it was like twenty-two assists on twenty-eight made mm-hmm. shots or something like that in the last game. I know coach was all big about that. Team basketball. Um, to, to to your uh, rebounding point, I think that's something that you build up throughout the season in terms of just your toughness, figuring out how you kind of get into better positioning. But I think the emphasis is the biggest thing from Coach Beard and Company because I think. All of his players know that everyone has to go for a rebound. If you do get near the basket or if you are close to that, that's why you've seen Jemias Ramsey uh, get a couple rebounds. You've seen Terrence Shannon do it. Uh, TJ Holyfield, obviously, he's one of the taller guys there. But you're seeing some guards get after it too. Clarice Ndoli, I think, has gotten a couple of rebounds. Uh, but I think that's the one thing that is kind of the interesting part is when you got guards or some, if you want to call it combo guards slash hybrid wings, rebounding the ball, you have a fast break that is starting with someone that can handle the basketball automatically compared to where you've got a seven-footer that grabs the ball and is waiting for someone to get the ball and pass it out. So I think that's what's allowed Texas Tech to maybe be that one or two seconds quicker on a fast break, and you're able to see some of these great plays. By, they look they look good in fast break. Yeah, by a Jemias Ramsey, a Terrence Shannon. Uh, th- those are the two guys that I feel like will probably benefit the most from this. I, I mean, I'll say it again. This is probably the most talented slash athletic team that Chris Beard has assembled Until so next far. year, yeah. yeah. Until next year, we'll talk about some of those a little bit. But um, I think that's where they're going to see most of their prosperity early on. Once they do get into, say, in Iowa when they play in the Continental Tire Las Vegas Invitational or you play a San Diego State or a Creighton or, heck, even DePaul mm-hmm. slash Louisville, that's when I'm going to be interested to see how their half-court offense works how the freshmen kind of deal with that sort of adversity where you're not going to be able to get up and down because the other team's not going to turn the ball over and say, hey, here, here's, here's a couple points for you. I think that's going to be the one where you have to kind of create turnovers compared to a team will turn the ball over because you're going to be playing some teams in DePaul, Louisville, Iowa, San Diego State, and Crane that do not turn the ball over as much as, say, a Bethune-Cookman in Eastern Illinois, Tennessee State, Long Island. Again, those are five games that I feel, and heck, Houston Baptist tomorrow. We're recording this on Tuesday. That's at 7 p.m. at the Chaparral Center in Midland. Um, I think that's going to be the one thing to kind of watch for as this kind of goes is can they rebound a little bit better? Can they turn the ball over a little bit less? I know uh, the first, I want to say four or five minutes against Bethune-Cookman where they kind of made a little bit of a run. I know 79-44 doesn't seem like it's that close, but at one point it was close because they turned the ball over six times in, I believe, the first three or four minutes. And that's going to happen with freshmen. But at some point, and I want to say it'll maybe be that fifth or sixth game, either before or after Iowa, I think that's where you're going to kind of see the bench shorten a little bit. And you're going to see some roles get defined at some point, but I think the the fact that you've seen Jamias Ramsey and Terrence Shen in the starting lineup says a little bit. I think you're spot I me. Mean, you're way more the college basketball guys. I don't I, know. I like the way it fits together right now. From I, I go way more deep on the football and whatnot, but I just from what I can tell, 
as far as watching it from a fan's perspective, watching it courtside there, they do seem very athletic. They're very fast. They're, you can tell they're young. I'm sure I think that's a fair thing to say. They look oh, they young. Like they, They've got seven freshmen. Yeah, they, they will know. make mistakes that are just very – the young teams make. Yep. But it just seems like they fit together. I know this is a team that it's – very, it's very cliche to say this. This is a team that will get better throughout the year. With being such a young team, the way Coach Beard coaches, he almost wants them make, to make mistakes early so he can teach them – Throughout the year, it just seems like they fit together so well, and I think that's what makes these deep runs come from teams that play complementary basketball. Yes, you need the stars, you need athleticism, but you also need guys that each do their specific parts, and I think they've really been doing that. Well, they'll get another chance to do that as they take on Houston Baptist in a neutral side game at 7 p.m. Wednesday at the Chaparral Center in Midland, Texas. First time that Texas Tech has actually been to the Permian Basin since 1951. So it's been a little bit of time. I wonder why that is. Baseball goes down there a lot, right? Yeah, they do. Well, here's the thing. is like Football so, does the spring game. Again, Coach Baird is all about trying to get, uh, obviously, the brand out a little bit. That's why they've played uh, some games uh, against some teams that are obviously kind of local, have played uh, UTEP, mm-hmm. El Paso. Obviously, there's a little bit of connection with Texas Tech with the medical center and kind of all those things. I know Coach Beard talked a little bit about Amarillo, uh, potentially having something there. Obviously, there's a, a nice tie there with Texas Tech as well. So it'll they be even did it with the Coliseum game. They hope they hosted uh, Abilene Christian. That's last year. true. Abilene Christian is another team that they've played. So obviously, uh, a lot of good things here for Chris Beard. More so, just trying to get the fan base around mm-hmm. uh, Lubbock and not only just uh, in the Panhandle, so to speak. Kind of excited about his team, but kind of uh, not difficult to get excited about a team that went to the national title mm-hmm. game and is ranked number eleven at this point. But some other things to get excited about. I know you alluded to it that. Future teams will be really talented for Texas Tech. Uh, earlier this morning, five-star guard Namari Burnett uh, committed to Texas Tech. First ever five-star, right? Did First ever Ryan? consensus five-star, consensus I believe. Five-star. And, Jemias had a couple of five-stars. Uh, he was a four-star one. before, and I believe he moved up to a yeah. five-star. But basically every recruit that has been brought in by Chris Beard, I'm going to have to dust off the cobwebs here, Kevon Moore, Jemias Ramsey, Micah Peavy, who was previously – Namari Burnett, and then uh, I can't remember how to say his name. I think it's Chibuzi Agbo. I apologize for saying that incorrectly. But um, all those guys have been just uh, – I know everyone looks at the stars, but I think the important thing to watch is positionless basketball. Beard will eventually use that term. It is a term that he's been using since he's been at Angelo State, since he was at McMurray. Always looking for guys that are six five to six seven can handle the ball, can rebound – can guard their butts off. If you have that, you're going to be successful at some point because you are going to have some guys that can make plays on both sides of the ball. He's the number 19 player in ESPN's top 100. The number 19 player in the country is coming to play for Texas 22 on rivals, I believe. That's crazy. Yeah, so you have that, and then let me see here. I'm trying to remember the stat I had here. It is pretty crazy that since I've been here, it literally does seem like, oh, highest recruit in history. We keep saying that about it, it was Kayvon Moore, then it was Jemias Ramsey. I don't know about PV. I don't know if he passed up Ramsey, but now I know that Amari Burnett is now the highest recruit, which is very interesting. That's talking about a team that's recruiting their butts off. My goodness, Chris Beard and that staff. On and off the court. I'm trying to remember the ranking. Um, let me see here. I know you already mentioned the number two. Hasn't updated on the website. No shock there, but um, if I remember off the top of my head, I believe before he committed this morning, Texas Tech was ranked number 19 by rivals and I believe number 30 by 247 after he pledged. 
Texas Tech is now number six by two four seven and number five by rivals. So they are wow. the fifth and sixth ranked. That's a big jump. Six ranked teams. Yeah, I mean, it just goes to show the type of talent that's coming in. And then, of course, there's a little bit more as well that is coming up as well. But just uh, the fact that they were able to get him, uh, Micah Peavy was uh, kind of instrumental. They kind of know each other off the off the AU number ranks. Five number five on twenty four. My behind yeah. only Tennessee, Kentucky, North Duke. Carolina, and Duke. Yep. So. Big Twelve. The next closest one is Baylor at eight. Yeah, I assume Kansas will. You know, uh, Kansas got a Kansas got a five star commit. Today. They have a five star uh, and two four stars. Bryce Thompson, I believe, committed this morning as well. So obviously a good day for the Big Twelve. He, he had it down to uh, Kansas, North Carolina, OU, and OSU. Yep. Apparently his number two was OU. Sorry, Sooners. Wah, wah, wah. Um, but yeah, again, Micah Peavy, Damari Burnett, Chibuzo Agbo, big time uh, commits. You've got three of them. And uh, here's the other thing too that's crazy. I mean, assuming that Jamias Ramsey and Terrence Shannon aren't able to go one and done, you've got you've got a lot of talent going into that team next going year. Going into next year, I mean, again, people have asked me, do you think uh, Ramsey or Shannon could be one and done? Yes, absolutely. If if you get the if you get the minutes and you play the way that they've been playing, obviously, uh, Shannon a legit one and done. I think he could be, but again, really? it, it's all about the minutes. I I I again, I I use this comparison lightly only because of the situations you look at jared Culver and you look at zaire smith they were brought in yes they were three-star prospects but they were freshmen that they wanted to develop that's going to be a word that you hear a lot with this program they developed both of those guys at some point you saw jared Culver crack into the lineup a little bit because of injury you saw zaire smith crack into the lineup because of injury and then once you kind of saw their roles a little bit defined where zaire smith was a nice complimentary piece to rebounding or cleaning up some rebounds or getting those putbacks because of his unbelievable athleticism and jumping ability. That was good for him. Jared Culver was a guy that could score at all three levels, and he was a little bit more polished on the offensive end. Maybe that's why you saw Zaire Smith uh, spend a little bit of time in the G League more than He's Jared Culver. He's there currently, right? Correct. More than Jared Culver, who is now starting. At, uh, he was starting for a little bit for Minnesota. But then, of course, again, that's a situation with the Timberwolves. They're, they're a young team. They want to see what they've got. But I can see the same thing with uh, Jemias and Terrence. It's just now you kind of have to find time for those guys because they are that good. I mean, you see why Jemias is so good. He's a little bit off with three-point shooting, but I think that's going to get better. Terrence Shannon, a good shooter from the mid-range. The one thing that you do like about both of them, though, is they are elite defenders. They've shown that they can slow down the ball. Yes, they're going to be made some mistakes because they're both freshmen, but I think the uh, future's kind of bright. I think it's very bright, man. When I got here, Tech basketball is sitting good, but not like this. I mean, we, we can, I don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves. We still have this entire season, which could be really special. If this team does what we're expecting, makes another tournament, I don't think anyone's expecting like a national title appearance, but looking good throughout the year, finishing high in the Big 12, going a few rounds deep in the playoff, in the in March Madness at least, we're looking at at least a top 10 preseason team next year, if not top five. I mean, my goodness. Well, the, the one thing that you will always hear with Chris Beard, you stay in the fight, and they've got the guys to stay in the fight. You've got a bunch of guys that play defense. You'll, you'll find your offense at some point. And uh, that's what they've been able to do early on. So I guess is there the Ryan King's things stump me question of the day so far? I, I do have a question. I know if we were going to circle back. It's not basketball season yet. Or it yeah. is basketball season. It's not a basketball question yet, okay. though. So here's the trivia question. We're going to go reset your mind for football. Currently, this is based off the Big 12 stats. Oh, Lord. Tech is scoring 31-ish points per game, while TCU is giving up about 
29 points per game. They're very close to each other. So my question is, how many times has Texas Tech scored 31 or more in a win over TCU under Gary Patterson? Oh, Lord have mercy. He's been there for, like, what, 10-plus years? Oh, yeah, close to 20. So they played him at least once every year. For the last decade or so, so, yeah. so a few before that. So how many times Texas Tech has scored 31 or more points on Gary Patterson? How many times have they Patterson? scored 31 or more in a win over TCU no under win. Gary Patterson? Oh, Jesus, you're throwing in a win. Well, they didn't score it when Jed Duffy beat them, so I know that. I'm it's gonna a say, tough one, man. I'm gonna I, say. I'm gonna say. Last week was too easy. So I'm gonna say it was not double figures. Okay. Damn it! I was trying to get something out of you. <laughs> you're not gonna. Uh, you're not gonna stump me on my own tri- my trivia questions. I'm gonna say eight. Eight times they've scored thirty-one or more in a win under against TCU under Gary Patterson. Is that I, what you're going with? Yes, I know I'm totally wrong on it, but you are wrong. The answer is twice. Oh my god. I was actually thinking about saying five. Here's my, here's my other question. And I was still wrong. Can you tell me the last time they did this? The that last they, time Tech oh. scored 31 or more in a win over TCU. Oh, boy. It's a little tricky. I'm telling you, it's, it's, it's a trickier question than it seems. I want a little bit of help here. It wasn't under Cliff, was it? It was not under Cliff. Yeah. I will tell you that. I'm guessing it was under Leach. I don't want to get too specific here. If I eliminate him or say him, if we really bring it down, oh, you just pick a year. It was not him, though. I'll say that. How about that? 2000. See, I got that part yeah, half, Halfway there. 2000. Five. 2012. I was 2012. Say 2005 or 2008. 2012, so they won 56 to 53. The other time was 2004. So it's happened twice. 2004 and 2012, Tech scored 31 and beat TCU under Gary Patterson. They scored 31 one other time. Actually, two other times, I believe. I don't have those numbers in front of me, but they lost those games. That so, is pretty wild when you really think about it. I know. They've only scored 31 and one. Two, two times. 2012. 2012. I'm trying to think who would that have been. Again, now I'm just kind of talking out of my. Was that Boykin? 2012 might have been. Yeah. Because I was looking through these, and the ones. Because for sure, Daigie was, was a quarterback in 2012. So I, they have I, I know played... that for sure. They've played nine times under Gary Patterson. First time, they won 70-35 to 35 in 04. That would be 31 or more. They lost in 06, 12-3. They, they won in 2012, 56-53. Those are the two. Then it, they won 20-10 in 2013. They lost 82-27 in 2014. They lost 55-52, so they scored it, but they lost in 2015. They won 27-24 in 2016. They lost 27-3 in 2017. And last year... They won seventeen to fourteen. It's pretty crazy. It just makes me think that in general against Gary Patterson, they're low scoring games. So it as, as bad as they seem now, as down as TCU seems, you're pro it would be difficult. I can't say probably you it would be difficult to get to that thirty five thirty eight like they're trying to, mm-hmm. and they clearly have gotten the last few games. I'm just upset that I'm not gonna be bowl eligible with these questions. Yeah, right now you are you are now one and four. I am. John is 0 and three, Don is 0 and five, but he yeah. still has this one to answer. So. Yeah. 
Well, hey, this can go all year. We have all basketball. Well, See, once we start getting basketball questions, you'll ace them. I doubt that. You'll ace them. <sighs> I'm actually upset that I forgot about 2012. But you're gonna think about this. You're gonna carry this with you all day. I might. Like I said, bulgeability, man. That's what you got to think about right now. Just that like is Texas true. Tech is doing for uh, football. But anything you want to mention? Uh, I know high school football starting up uh, with the old playoffs this weekend. Uh, it it is actually the playoffs. Um, don't know where I'll be yet. We were, you know, there's a lot of. There's a lot uh, of stuff that's close, so you don't have to drive. Lots of, nice. Yeah, I won't know. These first couple of weeks, we still have the Blitz going, so I don't think I'll be going too far. But don't know where I'll be going exactly, but we do have the Blitz on KLBK. Uh, make sure to tune in to KLBK tomorrow. Yeah. I don't know when this comes out. On Wednesday, make sure to tune in at 6 and 10. Uh, I've been working on this for a few weeks, just trying to find the right time to put it out. Mm-hmm. Uh, the exclusive sit-down one-on-one with Steve Gomez of the LCU Lay Shaps uh, that I had the privilege of doing. That will air at the 6 raining. The reigning national champions won two of the last four. Yep. That will be a, it's a two-parter, so you're going to have to catch part one at six, part two at uh, ten. You can catch that on everythinglubbock.com whenever it's all over. But just sat down with him around three weeks ago or so, three or four weeks ago, just to preview the season. Mm-hmm. Um, Says the guy that's not a hoops guy. You talked to the head coach. The did talk to is it good. I didn't say I'm not a hoops guy, yeah. just not to the level of you, yeah. of course. But yeah. I just had a one-on-one with us, Steve Gomez, great guy to talk to, to yes, see how LCU do. You know, if they're going to go for a third national title yep. in five years, they're mm-hmm. preseason number two. So it's just, yep. it was a fun sit-down one-on-one. I've been working on that the last few days. So that'll air on Wednesday on KLBK. My Twitter, once again, Ryan underscore King underscore now. Mm-hmm. Getting cl- Thanks to Carlos. I've gained like 30 followers since we started doing this. I'm now less than 20 away from 1,000. So thank you for that, Carlos. It's the old Twitter effect. You know, people actually listen, I guess. I, it, they, they follow you and they listen nah. to you. So I'm just going to grab on. I'm going to hitch my wagon to your star. So I appreciate that. But that's what we have going on the Blitz one-on-one with Steve Gomez. Uh, it's been a fun week. Next week, we'll be working on some more packages. There you go. Uh, but football season is coming to an end for high school, but the playoffs are here, so it's going to be a fun week. Fun fact, Matty Chitsy, who plays for the LCU team, covered her at Wall. That's a Wall. Really? Time. So there you go. Matty, very good player. I'll be yes, doing a story on her come uh, January, February, and she's very good, very fun to talk to as well. There, there's a great team to be around. If you ever just go and you're just around the LCU Lady Shops, there's a yeah. good team to be around. Absolutely. Well, we'll see how uh, good of a football team uh, Texas Tech will be around after they take on TCU at 11 a.m. on Saturday at Jones at and No Stadium. time for K-State yet. No time. Got to mention that. That is TBA. That is a, a six-day I, I flex what, or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Basically flex schedule. So they're seeing if Texas Tech wins and if Kansas State wins. So could be any time uh, throughout the day. So obviously uh, if you're watching that, check out the Twitters and all that other stuff. I'm sure it'll get thrown out after the Saturday uh, game, which is a good thing that it is at 11 a.m. Maybe you'll kind of find out right after the game. So It uh, is possible. It'll be a good deal. But obviously uh, we've got that one, uh, 7 p.m. Wednesday at the Chaparral Center Midland. Texas Tech takes on Houston Baptist. You can follow my tweets at CM Silva Jr. Brad Tollison will be there as well, taking some photos. Brad underscore Tollison, T-O-L-L-E-F-S-O-N. You can get all the information as well at redraiders.com. And then, of course, in the Wednesday edition of the newspaper for the preview and Thursday edition for the recap. Again, we appreciate you all listening to another edition of the Red Raider podcast. For Ryan King, I am Carlos Silva. We'll talk to you next week.